Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 554th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective for our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me on the Red Bull News Network. But of course, this show is always about American soccer. So don't worry. No worries here. You will get your daily American soccer discussion right here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash for your scenes fire. Chat room is open. Come on in. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. So today, World Cup qualifying, your national playoff, well, the first one of two, of course the second one will be tomorrow, as Australia and Peru battled each other into a scoreless draw through regulation and extra time, and then it took six rounds of penalties to end this one, and Australia on the dancing keeper at the last moment, the substitute came in and stops the penalty on Peru on the sixth try, And Australia will be in Group D of the FIFA World Cup tomorrow on Fox Sports 2. It will be Costa Rica from CONCACAF and New Zealand from Oceania. As one of those two teams will finally fill out the 32-team list. As they will also be going into... The World Cup, one of those two nations will be going into the World Cup, and we shall see what will happen moving forward. So, very interesting stuff. Also, something that broke earlier today, Ronnie Dyla, who won the uh, MLS Cup championship last year for New York City FC, has left the club. He will return to Europe, and he will be a part of Standard Liege in the Belgian First Division. Uh, this is a, um, a time where, you know, I, no one would ever thought this would have happened. I didn't expect this to happen. Unfortunately for New York City FC, they have lost another manager to Europe. And already there's the interim, John Cushing. So he's going to have to work on stuff for this upcoming weekend. And the Open Cup quarterfinal at the New York Red Bulls on Wednesday night, June 22nd. So it's going to be interesting to see what will happen with New York City FC. They probably don't really have to change much, but... This is the situation that has now been presented to them. And uh, 
we'll just have to wait and see what will happen here. So you just have to hope, if you're a New York City FC supporter, that these issues will not creep up and that everything will be right as rain. Um, And then, of course, later tonight, if you want to watch the CONCACAF Nations League, it is going to be Honduras hosting Canada. Catch that on TUDN. Or if you want to see it in English, the Paramount Plus app, along with the rest of the field of tonight's CONCACAF Nations League matches moving on forward. So it's going to be exciting. Night of soccer. If you are in the CONCACAF Confederational region, whether you are in the North Zone, Central Zone, or in the Caribbean Zone, This should be a fun evening tonight. We already have matches going on uh, already as I get the schedule up here for the CONCACAF Nations League. Tonight's matches are at the moment. We have Trinidad and Tobago leading three goals to one over St. Vincent Grenadine. Just starting, Nicaragua versus the Bahamas and Guatemala versus Dominican Republic. And once again, later on tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern, it will be Honduras versus Canada. So get ready for that one. It should be uh, a fun one to see what's going to happen. And if you're curious to know, if you are curious to know about who is ending up where, And don't forget that the CONCACAF Nations League group stage also will determine who goes to the 2023 Gold Cup in the tournament proper as well as the qualifying stage. If you take a look right now, even though Mexico has only played one game, in Group A, and that was a 3-0 win over Suriname, and Suriname only has one match remaining, and let's be honest with ourselves here, I don't think Suriname is going to be able to get to the Gold Cup proper. Suriname is probably likely heading to the, the qualification stage, so here are the nations right now that I believe have already qualified for the Gold Cup for next summer. Already USA and El Salvador from Group D will automatically qualify. Grenada is already into the uh, qualification uh, department along with Curaçao, Puerto Rico, St. Lucia out of uh, League C, and Suriname. Uh, They are right now uh, five spots filled for the qualification cycle. And even though Panama has seven points, they had a nil-nil draw on the road at Martinique. So Martinique is still alive. Possible qualification into the Gold Cup proper, depending on what Costa Rica does when they return from World Cup qualifying in March or the World Cup itself, depending on what happens here. But definitely, Costa Rica's got two matches remaining. Martinique has three matches remaining. Excuse me, one match remaining. I apologize. 
And Costa Rica has two matches remaining, one on the road at Martinique and then, of course, hosting Panama. So it depends on who goes where. And it should be interesting to see what's going to happen here. So things are still alive in Group B in League A. We'll find out what happens, even though, of course, uh, with Honduras and Canada, uh, who's going to win the group? Of course, group winners will go to the uh, championship stages, semis and final, if you are the winners of groups in League A. If you are the group winner in League A, you will go to the Nations League semis, and then we'll find out who will face whom in the semis, and then we'll go into the final. But the top two in each section of League A in each group goes to the Gold Cup proper. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the last place team will go to the preliminary qualification stage for the Gold Cup for those remaining three spots. So we'll see what happens there moving forward. But it's a fun time, as we all saw. The United States taking out Grenada. Five goals to nil. Four of those goals scored by Jesus Ferreira. And it's going to be great. It's going to be very, very comfortable to see how the U.S. was able to take on Grenada. But I have to say, Grenada played hard. They tried their best. That's all you can really ask for a, a nation like Grenada or an island like Grenada, the Spice Boys. You know, they really tried their hardest. They really tried their best to go out there and give the U.S. a proper fight. And in the first half, I thought that they were going to at least get a scoreless uh, result after uh, the first 45 minutes. But Jesus Ferreira gets the rebound, moves up inside the area, and he just buries it inside the far, the near post and made it 1-0. And then it was the Ferreira show along with uh, De La Torre and Paul Ariola, as well as Brendan Aronson coming on for that match. And, you know, once again, Grenada is not a real test, but if you're looking for that number nine, that classic center forward that you hope to see, well, maybe Jesus Ferreira has made some uh, answers for those questions. I mean... Four goals is nothing to sneeze at, but at the same time, it could have been more. It could have been seven. It could have been eight, but it was not. It was five, and the U.S. looked comfortable attacking. It was one-way traffic. Matt Turner had nothing to do all game long. So now we have uh, news earlier today. Greg Berhalter has said in an interview that it'll be Ethan Horvath getting the start down in El Salvador in this CONCACAF Nations League group stage match on the road number two. And all you can say is, why not? He came in for Zach Steffen when he got injured in the match, in the championship match against Mexico. The huge penalty save that put the U.S., firmly ahead after the Christian Pulisic penalty to make it 3-2 and winning the inaugural CONCACAF Nations League title. It was a stellar moment to see that happen. It was a wonderful moment to have that happen. 
And all you can say is Ethan Horvath absolutely deserves a start. And I want to give credit to Zach Steffen here. I want to give credit to Zach Steffen. He stepped down, call up from Greg Berhalter because not just, I guess he needs rest. I don't know how much rest he needs, but he wants to know what his position is at Manchester City. And it's not like I'm trying to crap on Zach Steffen. Do I believe he has the qualities of being a great starting goalkeeper for the men's national team? Yes. We cannot continue to defend him or those who are defending him if he's playing for Manchester City and he's, being, and he's having training with some of the best players in the world. Because it's not showing on the stat sheet that he's starting. He's only starting in League Cup and FA Cup matches. He had only one start in the Premier League match, and that was because Ederson could not return to Man City because of the Bowl World Cup qualification games that were suspended due to COVID. And then for one week, it was three matches within seven to eight days. And Ederson could not return quick enough to start in the Premier League season. Because he started one match does not mean that you're, you know, you have the right to gloat. Euro American soccer snobs. When you need to have a starter who's American, like Tim Howard, Casey Keller, Brad Guzan, a starter abroad or, or, or domestic, they deserve a start as the U.S. men's national team starting goalkeeper. So until that gets you know, resolved, I want my goalkeepers to have steady minutes, regular minutes, playing match in, match out. Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, MLS, Liga MX, I don't care where. Consistent starting minutes to be match sharp, to go out and do a job. That's all I ask. Great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have on later on Mike Kuhn from down the byline. Uh, also, uh, the Blue Testament of SB Nation. And, of course, we'll recap Red Bull's uh, match at Charlotte. But first things first, let me uh, have on this gentleman uh, returning here. He's joining me from the Austin Chronicle as Austin FC is having a very solid second season in Major League Soccer. It is, of course, Eric Goodman who covers the club down in Austin. Eric, good evening, and how are you? Doing great, Ken. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Well, Eric, i got to say this. Uh, we all know, you know, inaugural seasons, uh, it's usually a feel-out year for these brand-new teams, even though they want to compete, they want to play hard, they want to do well, and that's understandable if they're not going to have a solid season in their first year. But all of a sudden, Austin FC exploded to start the year. Five goals scored in their first two league matches, and they've been solid since. What has been the difference with Josh Wolf and this roster right now? 
Yeah, I mean, all around, they're they're a more competitive team, and and they, to their credit, recognized a lot of where these holes were on their inaugural roster. It was a flawed roster. I think you could tell that pretty early on. Part of that was, you know, they decided they were not going to use their entire salary cap, their entire budget with the with the day one roster. They were going to wait first of all till the mid season of 2021 to fill that out, and that's when you had Sebastian Driussi come and join the team and that really is you know you, you know yes all of season two has been has been an improvement but really you can look at as soon as Sebastian Driussi landed in Austin is, is where Austin FC just became a more competitive team uh and and they filled holes in uh you know at the striker position you know Maxi Arutis scored four important goals for them and, and, and more than that it's just been um you know someone that filling the striker position that that was their biggest hole uh, in 2021, and and they filled the yeah, like I said they filled those holes. Um, and Josh Wolf has had another year to impart his system onto some of these players. And you have players like Diego Fagundes who he's kind of having a resurgent year. And I think a lot of that has to do with spending a full season and a full off season learning how Josh Wolf wants to play. And now they're kind of enjoying some of the fruits of that. Uh, up until kind of this last month of May before the before the break, they ran into a few buzz saws out in California and in uh, and in Utah, but they are sitting in fourth place and, and looking like a team that can vie for the playoffs this year. Oh, I believe they can, and Josh Wolf has done an amazing job so far. And you're right, Drew C. Right now is the goal leader with eight. Uh, for Austin Fagundes, the assist leader was seven. And we all know about Aruti. Who doesn't know about Max Aruti? He's such a good, solid striker. He's also a good character player as well to help out in the midfield as well as bring up the ball. Um, what is it about Josh Wolf and his system that has made these players committed to what he's trying to do? Well, and, and this is in part due to Josh, but it's also in part due to, like you just mentioned, Aruti being a great character guy. You know, the team is, you know, all you hear when, when talking to, to players on Austin FC right now is just how unified the team feels, especially um, from those who were there last year. Uh, you know, compare, they, when they compare it, they, they say, you know, this year the, the, the unity is just several notches up. And a lot of that has to do with winning, of course. You know, it's, it's easy to be united in a locker room when the wins are coming. But, uh, you know, players like Aruti and like Felipe Martins, who, you know, has, has obviously been around uh, the block in MLS uh, and someone who's kind of, you know, been the, you know, playing the trumpet for Austin FC everywhere and anywhere down here in Texas. Um, you have, you know, these veteran leaders that, that have kind of helped the young players like a, like a Danny Pereira, their uh, number one overall super draft pick and on their, you know, in the 2021 season has really blossomed into an effective defensive midfielder and one of the, you know, better looking young defensive midfielders in MLS. Uh, and, you know, you do have to credit Josh Wolf and, and by the way, so has, you know, Anthony Precourt and the Austin FC brass who have offered him, you know, have already signed into a three-year extension midway through this season. So obviously they like what they see. Three courts, you know, he said he, on Twitter, he said continuity and leadership is the best course of success. So, you know, that's what he believes. And, uh, you know, they're, they're willing to, to see this whole Josh Wolf situation out. Uh, and for good reason. He's, he's got a personal connection that to this club, you know, having helped it build up from the ground up that 
is really tough to replace, and, and you really can't replace it even if you think, you know, there might be better coaches out there, managers out there. What was it about Josh Wolf? Because I know he's an assistant coach. Um, I believe in the, with Peter Vermees in Sporting Kansas City. Uh, what made Precourt believe that he was the right fit to start last year? And obviously he's been working now, but what was it about Josh Wolf that you felt that Precourt believed in him before uh, starting last year in MLS? Well, I think uh, I think Wolf as a player kind of finished out his career under Vermees, but you know his, his real uh, you know his real kind of you know he's the Padawan of Greg Berhalter, which obviously you know going back to the days of the Columbus Crew and, and Precourt was the owner of that team at that time. So so Precourt and and Wolf have a have a longstanding relationship. But you know what one thing's clear about Josh Wolf is his professionalism. I mean he's just you know. He's constantly, you know, you feel kind of just the professionalism that, that he brings, the dedication. Um, you know, sometimes it, it keeps him, you know, those, you know, those of us in the press corps, you know, we, you know, he's he's very serious at times, and and you know, doesn't like to, you know, have too much fun out there because he's just a very professional, committed personality. And obviously, Anthony Precourt's, you know, had, you know, seen him blossom in, in that assistant coach's role. Uh, you know, he was the, I think he was the offensive uh, minded coach, you know, as a, as a career striker, he, he kind of diagrammed the offense in Greg Berhalter's system in Columbus. Uh, and, and Austin FC has, you know, consistently been one of the top goal scorers this season. And so that definitely is translated now that they've gotten into that second year flow. Yeah, absolutely. I got to tell you, um, they really surprised me to start the season, obviously, they ran to a buzzsaw later on in the year. But you know what, though? Uh, Q2 has been a fortress for Austin FC. It's amazing to see every single home game filled up, sold out from the first row to the last row. How has it been over there at that stadium ever since it was built? And, of course, two U.S. men's national – actually, no, three USA games, including the Gold Cup uh, quarterfinal over Qatar – uh, a World Cup qualifier against Jamaica, and just recently a Nations League match where they uh, put out a 5-0 uh, thrashing on Grenada. Yeah, it's a lot of FC Dallas players like to score in Q2 Stadium, apparently, because first it was uh, Ricardo Pepe scoring twice against Jamaica in that World Cup qualifier, and then Ferreira with his uh, – I don't even know if there's a term. Is there a term for a, a four-goal, like a hat-trick plus one? But yeah, you're right. The um, the energy at Q. I mean, it's it's you know we're, we're both New York sports fans, and and you know we're not we're not used to fans having this much energy and positivity towards a team that early on wasn't doing very well, and yet you know the fans kept coming out. Obviously, you know you you meet people, and they're knowledgeable soccer fans in the city, and and they you know they will complain and they will tell you know they will identify what's wrong with the team that's that's not, you know, performing consistently, but they kept the energy. And it's, it's, it's actually something that, you know, when I first heard the butterflies, you know, the, you know, the, the chatter about, oh, MLS is considering Austin, I immediately thought that it would really have potential to be a good fit because this is a, a you know, a fast growing city. Um, it's a city that doesn't have professional or did not have professional sports, at least major league professional sports before Austin FC. And it's a city kind of based around this whole concept of identity and, and you know, and group, you know, being a part of, of, of a group and socializing. 
And to Austin FC's credit, you know, they have really leaned into that and they have tried to craft the identity of this, not, not just the team itself, but the whole franchise around that concept of, you know, being this, this team atmosphere, being this social community atmosphere. And uh, yeah, you've got a lot of, a lot of people down here in Austin that aren't big sports fans, but, you know, are season ticket holders at Austin FC and, and really have, have gotten, you know, gone full Verde. I have a question to ask you. Uh, a while, a couple, maybe a year or two ago, I, I held a panel of uh, Texan uh, soccer bloggers to, uh, to join me on a discussion with the amount of soccer stadiums inside Texas. And now you have Austin, of course, uh, the former USL championship side, Austin Bold, uh, had their own stadium over at the racetrack circuit, the F1 uh, racetrack circuit. Could you see it one day if the U.S. ever hosts an under-20 World Cup or an under-17 World Cup, men or women? Do you feel that the state of Texas can handle that with stadiums in Frisco, Houston, San Antonio, the two in Austin, and uh, the one down at the Rio Grande uh, Valley Toros? I mean, you know, you know a lot more about that side of things than I do about how they would go about selecting those venues. But, I, I mean, you just laid it out. You know, the options are there. And, you know, Q2 – and, and, by the way, San Antonio FC has, has one of the uh, – I, I, like I said, I haven't been to too many uh, USL stadiums, but, but the one they have in San Antonio, it's actually kind of interesting because it's, it's a one-level bowl. But you look around and you see that they actually have these pillars sticking out of that um, main level, and those pillars are supposedly were left there as to leave the potential of expanding that stadium, that Toyota Field, leave the potential of expanding it if San Antonio was ever to get an, an MLS club, which obviously, since Austin FC was established, uh, looks less and less likely. But it's another really, really nice stadium, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you'd just be dealing, you know, assuming this would be a summer tournament with a lot of Texas heat. Absolutely. But it, right now, it looks like Austin's off to a fabulous uh, beginning here in the second year. As you said, they're in fourth in the West. Uh, at the moment, it looks like they might be hosting a playoff spot, but there's still plenty of matches left to go. Um, do you foresee them? I, I mean, I see them making the playoffs, but do you think they're going to hold on? Do you think they're going to have the opportunity to overtake LAFC? I, I mean that'll be that'll be difficult. Even though um, you know a couple weeks ago or about a month ago, actually, a couple weeks before this international break, um, they went to Bank of California Stadium and they outplayed LAFC and they beat them two to one. So that wasn't you know the ch- they they can match up if if they you know are matched up with LAFC in a playoff round. You know don't don't count you know the don't count the Verde out. But in terms of consistently putting up you know gathering the points overtake them i don't see that happening um i'm very interested to see you know um austin fc just played a friendly actually uh this past saturday is the first time q2 stadium held back-to-back events because on friday you had the men's national team against guyana or against grenada and then the following night austin fc played pachuca the the champions of mexico in a friendly and got beaten four to one and it wasn't a particular, you know, and it, and it could have been more. It wasn't a particularly close four to one even. So, uh, and this is coming off a month of May where they took four points out of 15. So they're, they're riding kind of their, their 
lowest valley of the season, which obviously has been a good season, but I'm really interested to see how they turn it around um, first against Montreal here coming up on the road. And then uh, June 25th, FC Dallas comes to town, and, and those are the two Texas teams that you know, have kind of surprised everyone this year. And uh, that will be, you know, that's, that's one to circle and definitely one to watch uh, to see which of these teams is really for real of, of the two, you know, like I said, Texas teams that, that have gone above and beyond this season. Absolutely. Now, folks, just to let you know, Eric is from New York City. And, yes, we are New York Rangers fans in hockey. Uh, that was uh, a tough series to swallow in the Eastern Conference Final, my friend. But i got to say, uh, I'm proud of those Rangers because we didn't expect this. And, uh, you know, obviously, question to ask the head coach, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But let's be honest. That was a hell of a ride. Yeah, no question about. Yeah, I mean, just for me, it was it was a pleasant surprise for these last couple months. You know, it's been a while since since we've seen the Rangers, you know, in the playoffs at all, and then to make a deep run like this was was great, great fun. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to be at the Garden for Game Seven against Pittsburgh, which was a uh, an experience I'm unlike any bastard. other. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. But, um, <laughs> You're right. You're, all right, you're right. You're 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 100 right about Gallant. By the way, just, this is just this goes for coaches in any sport in any situation. Yes. If you make a decision and your first response in a press conference is to say no, I don't want to talk about that decision I made. That's inexcusable in my opinion. Thankfully, it seems like he answered the question today. But but coaches need to be held accountable and they need to be accountable themselves of the decisions they make. And so that was the one disappointing thing that I think came out of. Well, in a, in, a, in a disappointing loss, too, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, of course I do. Absolutely. Okay, listen, Eric, thank you very much for your time. As always, I appreciate you coming on, and I'll talk to you again soon. And uh, when you, if you ever do get up here, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll meet up. So I'll talk to you soon, Eric. Thank you again. Appreciate it, Danny. Take care. Thank, thank you, too. Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle talking about Austin FC's successful second season at this point in time. Joining me right now, of course, a man that I've always uh, respected on his thoughts and his uh, opinions about soccer in America, as well as sporting Kansas City, and as my good friend Mike Kuhn from the Blue Testament of SB Nation, as he join us, as, joins me right now. Good evening, Cuny, and how are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as I can, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you, uh, CUNY. I've, you know, as much good as Peter Vermees has done with this club, both as a player and as a head coach, sporting director, obviously, getting in players, getting the right fit, calling up these kids in uh, Sporting KC2 to, from uh, USL Championship, now the MLS Pro Next. This club is in dead last in the Western Conference, and I never thought I would see that with a Peter Vermees club with him running the show. Why are they in dead last, and what has happened? Well, I mean, how long do you got, Daniel? Uh, there are. I'll give you the whole hour. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are lots of reasons this team's in last place. There, there's not one specific reason as to why they're in last. I mean, if you want to go with the low-hanging fruit, the low-hanging fruit is 
there without two of their top players, and they will be for the entire season, despite what the club says about not putting Polito on season-ending IR. Gotti Keen is done for the year, and Alan Polito very likely is, even though he hasn't been put, in, put on season-ending IR. So any team is going to struggle some at least a little bit if two of your three top players are out for the entire season, basically. So if you want to start with the low-hanging fruit, that would be where I would start with the uh, Polito and Kinda injuries. But that's not the whole problem. Um, I know a lot of KC fans are will point to Elie Sanchez leaving and uh, Yuri Rossell coming in. And while I, I think Yuri's done, I would – I don't think he should see the field for a long time. And after his red card last night, he'll at least get to uh, uh, sit out at least one game. But while, yes, Elie brought a lot to the team, I think Elie, while missed, I think for him to be continue to be a successful player, he personally needed a change of scenery. I think he had maxed out here and – I don't want to say he had gotten comfortable, but I think he, I think he just needed a change of scenery, and LAFC has been a great move for him. So the lack of Elie uh, leaving, while I don't think he would have helped, I think his absence definitely hurts Kansas City this year. Um, then you got just general age of the players. You have Timelia, who turns 36. You have Roger Espinoza, who turns 36. You have Graham Zuzzi, who's turns 36 all players who are at this point on the downside of their career and uh to go to Melia Melia if I remember correctly has some of the lowest uh uh goals against versus minus uh c- compared to his expected goals against he's one of the worst performing keepers if not the worst performing keeper in the league in that regard um so Melia's not coming to the rescue and making saves that he, he, he wouldn't necessarily make um, this year as he has in years past. Um, you have, and that all of this makes it sound like I'm passing the blame off Vermes, but Vermes deserves plenty of blame for this. The, the last couple transfer windows, he's not been able to bring in acquisitions that have really turned things around for the club. Um, I mean, you can go all the way back to uh, Andre Fontas, who had a who had a good start to the year last year, but faded down the stretch. And for as long as he's been with the club, he's not been worth the price that they paid, combined with the fact that they had to, ended up trading Ike Opara in the end because of Fontas and Opara wanting a new contract. So it, it's a combination of a lot of things that has uh, that, that has caused it. It's not just one. And at times it's become disheartening because I, I'm not sure I'm ready to, that Vermes is ready to go. I'm not sure it's that time, but at the same time, I think some changes need to be made and some expectations need to be placed in front of him that his seat is, absolutely getting hot at this point and it should be but at the same time I don't think it is in simply because when you look at sporting situation they knew Polito was likely done for the season they knew Gotti Kinda was 
out for the season before the transfer window closed. And there was no, uh, no panic buy, I guess would be the best way to put it at the end of the uh, primary transfer window by, by Vermes. That to me says that he wasn't going to risk the future for the one window which tells me that he didn't feel the pressure to get it 100% done and turn the ship around as quickly as possible. He was going to be given the time to turn things around, basically. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, do you feel ownership believes in Peter Vermees? Do you think they still believe in him, even though this season has not gone the way that it would normally look for this club? I think so. I don't think the ownership has uh, has, has lost faith in uh, Vermes at this point. I think he's he's shown his ability with the club over the years that he that that he deserves the chance to pull himself out of this. Um, I think he's in deeper than he's ever been before. In this case, even worse than uh, 2019 um, a couple years ago. So he he's he he has to be feeling the pressure at this point, but. I don't think um, I don't think a canning is coming soon. I guess would be the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, he's done so much for the club. I mean, what uh, two Open Cup championships, uh, an MLS Cup, cha- oh excuse me, uh, an MLS Cup championship or two uh, as well. I mean, I think that would be like you know uh, hitting the, the red button a little too early in my opinion he's done so much for them that i just don't think he'll be sacked at all i i agree with you um you know after this upcoming weekend you have an open cup matchup in the quarterfinals against usl league one's union omaha and they have done the impossible they have gone from second round all the way to the quarters and with the way that sporting has been been playing right now and even though they've done well in the open cup do you feel a little nervous about a possible cup set coming next uh next wednesday i i think a little bit i mean um it's the they're riding omaha is riding the wave of uh, uh the euphoric wave of the of the lower division team winning and that on its own can have its own uh its own addition to players' forms and players will play just uh, a little bit harder. I mean, it's it's a close drive. I think I saw the other day, like, I think Omaha is going to bring like 600 or more down for the game. So it's going to be a fun atmosphere. It's going to be a, 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 a contentious atmosphere. And I, I think they're I think they absolutely can, can uh, take down Kansas City. The, the way Kansas City has been playing um, – I think they absolutely can do it. The thing that'll be working in Kansas City's favor is that they'll be they're they're finally starting to get healthy after after the last month to six weeks having having to call up uh, MLS uh, next pro players to be on the bench occasionally to help make up numbers on the wing and stuff. I agree with you, and this is going to be a big test if they're going to call up those. Uh, MLS Next Pro, MLS Pro Next players, if they do that. But I gotta say this: Johnny Russell has been fantastic for you guys ever since you brought him over, and that free kick against the Revolution on Sunday was absolutely gorgeous. How he was able to bend that ball uh, 
past the goalkeeper was just tremendous. How important has he been, even though it's been a bad year, but he's been the one that's been keeping the hopes alive for Sporting Kansas City? No, he, he's been putting the team on his back as, as much as he can every single game. I mean, you, you could see it in his, um, in his celebration after, after the goal, um, just the, the anger, I guess it was, with the celebration, that just how intense he is. He's an incredibly intense player. And, I mean, you, you always hear – Players hate to lose. Players don't like to lose, that sort of thing. You actually, like, there are certain players you see it with and certain players you don't. And with Russell, you absolutely see that he just despises losing, and he will do anything he can to keep that from happening. He will do as much as he can. And I mean, I don't know that the team could ask for much more from him the way he's played this year. He has absolutely carried this team for long periods of time this season. Yeah, it really has, and everything that's been going on over there. Other than that, um, how have you been? It's been a while since we've spoken. How have you been? How's the family? And uh, have you stayed away from the booze uh, during this year? I'd like to know. You're still okay? Everything all right? Oh, yeah. Everything's going fine. Everything's going fine. I've actually missed more home games than I care to share at this point, but that's been because I've been going with the younger, going with the, uh, watching the, next generation play basically or coaching the next generation whatever whatever the situation arrives whichever child i'm with at the time basically so it's 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 going but yeah missed more than my fair share of games this year it happens as you get older and your kids start to do those things but overall i'm doing i'm doing fine which is probably making the uh the the struggles with sporting a little easier to uh to swallow basically it's called a DVR, CUNY. It's called a DVR. But, <laughs> oh, I, I do that. I do but, that, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I just don't avoid the scores. Like, I, I, I don't live in the world where I'm going to go coach a game and then come home and not know what the score is. I'll know what the score is right. when I watch the game. I, I, I'm not one of those people that can sit and wait and avoid it. I I want to be too plugged in. So I, I I know going in what the score is. So I tend to fast forward a lot when I rewatch. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, because Sporting Kansas City has been on the regional sports networks. You know, what was once Fox Sports Kansas City. Now it's Bally Sports Kansas City. And then all of a sudden I saw that they're no longer there. Do you know why that uh, the, they're no – I mean, I know they're on a local TV channel now in kansas city but why why did that happen did it just they just decide to go a different route or did valley sports decide not to do it anymore sporting decided to step away from valley sports after the uh after they basically dropped off of all uh streaming services in the metro area so after uh, after that basically the the, they listened to the their fans and the fact that so many fans were unable to watch them play basically. So they sporting actually did a couple things. They moved to uh 38th spot, which is a local channel here in Kansas city, which years ago had carried the games before they moved over to uh, what was Fox sports and now Bally. And they also actually streamed their games on their web, on their website for free for people in Kansas and 
Missouri outside of what would be St. Louis City's TV bubble, where however far mm. out from St. Louis that comes in Missouri, basically. So they, right. they've tried to make themselves more accessible considering the television situation with Valley and the streaming situation there. So that, that's been one thing that has garnered them some – some, some praise, I guess, is the best way to put it, because there were a lot of upset fans last year when uh, when YouTube TV and all the other streaming services lost Bally Sports. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, that's a tough pill to swallow. But you know what, though? Look, if 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 the spot is worth it, then I say go with them, and uh, at least they're you know they did the right things. So that's all you can really say about that. All right, CUNY. Uh, Good luck trying to survive this year. Good luck in the Open Cup uh, next Wednesday. And hopefully uh, everything will be right as rain, uh, whether it's this year or starting next season. You take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Hopefully we can do better than D.C. did the year they won the Open Cup and won the Spoon the same year. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Thanks a lot, CUNY. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right, bye-bye. I keep back to Mike Kuhn from the Blue Testament of SB Nation, formerly of Down the Byline blog, moving on down now. And uh, we'll see what Sporting Kansas City does uh, with the rest of this year. And, you know, let's see if they, what they do in the Open Cup. It's going to be a tough, tough matchup against Union Omaha. They have been riding the Open Cup wave, and they've been doing a damn good job of it as well. Knocked out the Chicago Fire, knocked out Minnesota United FC, and now, possibility of knocking out Sporting Kansas City, but we'll see what happens moving on down. I haven't done this in a while. I haven't been able to do this in a while because I've uh, been meaning to, just haven't had the chance, but we're going to bring it back now. We're not going to go all the way back to the beginning of the year, but here are the scores of uh, USL Championship. We'll start off this past weekend, obviously, in the week. Wednesday, June 8th, Miami FC and Indy 11 with a 1-1 draw. Birmingham Legion winning 1-0 over Memphis, 9-0-1 FC. Loudoun United defeating New York Red Bulls 2-1-0. And then on Saturday, June the 11th, Monterey Bay losing at home to San Antonio FC, three goals to two. Charleston Battery clean sheet against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, 3-0. Tampa Bay Rowdies winning this battle of Florida over the Miami FC, two goals to one. Atlanta United 2 defeating Loudoun United, 2-0. Detroit City FC losing at home to Sacramento Republic, two goals to nil. A 2-2 draw between the Oakland Roots and the Rio Grande Valley Toros. A 3-0 destruction by San Diego Loyal over Hartford Athletic. It was the LA Galaxy 2 losing at home to the Colorado Switchbacks, three goals to one. Las Vegas Lights, clean sheet victory, 3-0 over Orange County SC. Phoenix Rising losing at home to El Paso Locomotive by final of a goal to nil. Here are the matches for this upcoming week and weekend at 7 p.m. Eastern time at the Trinity Health Stadium, Hartford Athletic hosting Memphis 901 FC at Montclair State University Soccer Park, New York Red Bulls 2 hosting FC Tulsa and the late nighters, Oakland Roots hosting New Mexico United at the Larry Football Stadium at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific. And then of course, LA Galaxy 2 hosting Monterey Bay at the Dignity Health Sports Park at 10.30 p.m. Pacific, uh, Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. On Saturday, June 18th, Detroit City hosting El Paso Locomotive at Keyworth Stadium. 
Atlanta United, and that's at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Atlanta United 2 hosting our, uh, Hartford Athletic at the Fifth Third Bank Stadium. Loudoun United hosting Phoenix Rising FC at Segra Field. Tampa Bay Rowdies hosting Charleston Battery at Al Lang Stadium at 8 o'clock Eastern. Lynn Family Stadium, Louisville City hosting Orange County SC. 8.30 p.m. Eastern at HEB Park, Rio Grande Valley hosting uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 Mountain, Colorado Springs Switchbacks hosting Indy 11. 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, San Antonio FC hosting Oakland Roots. 11 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Pacific, Sacramento Republic hosting LA Galaxy 2 at the Heart Health Park. And the lone match on Sunday, June the 19th, San Diego Loyal hosting Las Vegas Lights at Torero Stadium, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And the standings right now for USL Championship in the Eastern Conference, as we get ready to uh, pop this up, Memphis 901 FC leading with 28 points. Excuse me, pardon me. Louisville City FC in second place with 27 Tampa Bay Rowdies in third place with 26. Detroit City FC in fourth place with 25. Pittsburgh Riverhounds in fifth place with 24. Birmingham Legion in sixth place with 22. Indy 11 in seventh place and the last playoff spot with 21. Miami FC 21 points as well in eighth place, but Indy 11 has three matches in hand. Tulsa FC... 14 points with at ninth place. Loudoun United in 10th place at 11. Atlanta United 2 in 11th place with 10. Hartford Athletic in 12th place with 8. Charleston Battery uh, with 8 points as well, but Hartford has a match in hand. And in dead last, New York Red Bulls 2 with 5 points, 14 matches played, 1 win, 11 losses, and 2 draws with a differential of minus 16. Now, for those New York Red Bull supporters, tough to see Red Bulls 2 down at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Obviously, John Wolinick no longer the head coach with the New York Red Bulls 2, and he is currently now in the front office with the San Jose Earthquakes of MLS. So good for John. Uh, Obviously, he was ready to make a move out and uh, wanted to do something different, and so he did. And um, look, it's been uh, a tough ride, but you know what? This is the final season of them, along with Atlanta United 2, Loudoun United FC, being in uh, in USL Championship along with LA Galaxy 2, as they will soon move to MLS Pro next. So, It's a tough pill to swallow, obviously, but we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. In the Western Conference, so the match in hand on San Antonio FC, but both have 30 points, but Colorado Springs in first, San Antonio in second, 25 points in third place, San Diego. Fourth place, El Paso with 24. Mexico United with a match in hand over Sacramento Republic, both with 22 points, but New Mexico in fifth, Sacramento in sixth, and Phoenix, Phoenix Rising 
in seventh place above the playoff line with 21 points. Oakland Roots in eighth with 20. You have Rio Grande Valley and Las Vegas Lights with 19 points. Rio Grande Valley with one win more than Las Vegas. That's why they're in ninth and Vegas is in tenth. Galaxy 2 in 11th place with 18. Orange County SC in 12th place with 14 points. And Monterey Bay, the expansion team, last place with 12 points. 13 matches played, 4 wins and 9 losses with a minus 15 on the differential. And that is your USL Championship update with scores and standings. Moving on now to the New York Red Bulls hour, or segment, I should say. And for the New York Red Bulls, coming back from your national break, losing at Charlotte FC two goals to nil on a rip by Ben Bender that deflected off of Tom Edwards and into the back of the net. A match where a fantastic start in the first 10 to 15 minutes, but then all of a sudden fell apart and lost their energy, lost lost energy in this one, and basically just got almost, I would say they got ran over a, a bit in this one. And, you know, once again, targeting Lucinius, and I think that affected Lucinius's game because we all know what happened in the Open Cup match against Charlotte FC. They just kept targeting him and targeting him and targeting him. And they took him out. And I think that kind of took him off his game. It took everybody off their game. And it looked like they were going to get an attempt at a penalty as Ashley Fletcher subbed in at the half. And got. it looked like he got taken down. But on VAR in replays, not the case. Lost the ball inside the area on a defensive effort by Corjo. And then the second attempt looked like he was tripped up, but no, he was not. And as he went penalty hunting, and after VAR, the referee wipes out the penalty. And uh, Charlotte FC remained in the lead with a 1-0 scoreline until you got to seven minutes of stoppage time. And in the first two minutes of stoppage time in the second half, it was Charlotte FC who buried the ball to make it 2-0, and that's how it ended. Carlos Coronel actually had a fantastic match. I cannot blame him for both goals. Stood on his head, looked strong, looked solid. Just the New York Red Bulls could not do anything after the first 10 to 15 minutes of the match. And then Charlotte FC got settled in, and they just dominated the rest of the way. Excellent crowd at Bank of America Stadium, obviously. And the hope is... They'll get, they can build their own stadium within the downtown Charlotte area, which I think they should. Don't know if they'll share the Charlotte Independent Stadium at the local college, but it, it just has to be said that while it's great to see them at Bank of America Stadium, obviously owned by the Carolina Panthers, but once again, the situation is they've got to play there and they have to do their best to what they have going at the moment. But hopefully later on that they will build their own soccer-specific stadium, maybe somewhere a little more north of the city. Maybe there is some room near 
Bank of America Stadium. I'm not aware. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. I'm not aware of the uh, lay of the land in Charlotte. I've not been to Charlotte in my lifetime. So I'm not going to make any suggestions right now until I have further, uh, let's just say, consultation. But obviously, they do build a soccer-specific stadium and uh, go on and get out of the Bank of America Stadium. Well, it's nice that they're there, and hopefully they'll be there for a couple of years. Hopefully the idea will be to uh, get into a soccer-specific stadium somewhere in the future. I'm not saying the immediate future, just hopefully somewhere in the future. But obviously, uh, at the moment, they are off to a decent start. And of course, we have to say the strange firing, sacking of Hernandez, Miguel Angel Hernandez, and how these players have really allowed themselves to influence the front office and how the front office has handled this has been a travesty. It's just been a travesty. And you cannot allow the players to run the club. No, you cannot. But it happened. They moved on. The interim manager took over. And so far, it looks like, you know, he's off to a good start with his first victory as an MLS head coach. And we'll see what happens moving on with this season. But other than that, it's just a lot of question marks going on now, allowing a circus to develop inside Charlotte FC. And let's hope that the circus will be leaving town as quickly as possible. Other than that, it's just not been ideal what's been going on when it comes to the handling of teams, should I say players, running the club and not the club running itself. It's just terrible. But other than that, obviously Gerhard Struber was not happy with what he saw. He was very disappointed in how his players were playing. And, um, you know, many of you are against Ashley Fletcher right now. But let me just say this. Ashley Fletcher is coming off an injury. And he has not played at all for a while. So while I understand you feel he hasn't done his part, the injury situation in my book has not helped him either. So I will allow this to pass. I will give him an incomplete at this point in time, whether you like it or not. But the truth is, he was injured, and he couldn't go. So give him an opportunity. Hopefully, he'll get that. And and once he is fully fit, and once the rust is off of him, I think he'll be a lot better. Well, we'll have to wait and see. If he has not done the job, then so be it. Get rid of him. But it's only a loan from Watford. We'll see what happens. But the only positive thing he's done was force the own goal against the New England Revolution earlier in the year. He forced the own goal on the Revolution earlier in the year. And in my opinion, 
to me, that's a little bit of success. Yes, he didn't score the goal, but he put his team in a situation where he forced the opposition to create confusion, and they put the ball into their own net. So if you think about it, that is a positive, whether you want to admit it or not. Outside of that, I don't know what to tell you. You will have, obviously, your opinions. But once again, if you're looking for a positive, there it is. And that's the only positive I can give you. Once again, I'm not going to give up on Ashley Fletcher just yet. I'm going to give him the opportunity to try and be better. I'm going to give him the opportunity to go out, do something, and add on to the positive that he's that he did in New England. So we'll just have to wait and see what will happen. But until then, as of right now, I give him an incomplete. I give him an incomplete, and we'll just have to wait and see what the situation will be moving forward once, once this season continues on. They'll be taking on Toronto FC this coming Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and that'll be on MSG Network. And then next Wednesday, Open Cup quarterfinals at home at Red Bull Arena against New York City FC. Big, big quarterfinal matchup. Whoever advances will face either Orlando or Nashville in the semifinals. And it all depends on will they host it or go on the road for that matchup, and we'll wait for the draw the next day. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait for that to happen, and we shall see what will happen moving on down. Um, Before we say goodbye tonight, I I just wanted to let everyone know that I appreciate all of you uh, listening to my shows when I was uh, in the hospital, you know, for my original ailment and then my updated ailment uh, that I've been going through. Um, I just felt that it's a situation that, you know, I wish I wasn't in. I hated to suspend the show, uh, but I had to quickly go to the hospital and I had to I I just had to have a procedure done, and I was not in the best of shape. Um, You know, I appreciate all of you sticking with me. Uh, I appreciate you listening to these shows while uh, I was not able to do it. And, of course, my second trip to the hospital, I said, nope, I'm going to continue to do shows. And I thank you for listening to those shows as well. Um, It's tough going through all these things uh, personally, but uh, I'm on the mend. I'm getting better. And I appreciate all of you still being uh, loyal to this show and being loyal to uh, what I do to inform you 
you about American soccer and to give you the best content possible that I can to help out. Before I go tonight, um, I want to bring something up that, you know, I, I, w- I went on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I, I like to look on Twitter, obviously, you know, not just being updated through social media and all that fun stuff. But the truth is, is that, you know, I like to take a look at certain discussions that are going on. And I follow some people that, you know, shall we say the pro-rel crowd. And, you know, and I'll continue to say this on Blue in the Face. Do I think we need it? Yes. Do I think it has to be applied here? Yes. And once again, I still believe that for our teams to and our players to really, you know, fight to, you know, be better for our national team, for our domestic players, I think that's what has to happen. I'm not saying I don't trust our domestic players. I think they're talented enough, but if you want to show the world that we can conform and be equal to everyone else, I think it has to happen. But here's a discussion that was brought up. And the discussion is about the Open Cup. And and this discussion I felt was wrong, not to say that it's not okay to, to talk about it. You can talk about it. I disagreed with it because I believe that satisfying pro-rel into, an open, into the Open Cup would be the best solution for these lower-level teams. And I said no. And that would be this. The discussion was because the way that the Sacramento Republic and Union Omaha is going in this Open Cup year. Both are in the quarterfinals. And we'll see what happens if they can extend into the, sem- into the semifinals or maybe even make the final. Should they be allowed to start in a round later where MLS is? Now, we all know in MLS, it's, it's completely different now, obviously, what they did this year. They had the top six sides, top three in the East, top three in the West, start in the fourth round, and then you get the rest of MLS in the third round to start. And, of course, USL League One, NISA, and... MLS Pro next at the time because it's St. Louis City 2, which St. Louis City is not in MLS just yet, so they were allowed in, and Rochester FC New York was allowed in, into the second round because they're third division. And second division clubs began in the second round. You know, should Union Omaha and Sacramento start where MLS teams start in the fourth round? I said no. I think that's wrong because if you're going to do that, then everywhere, every other FAs around the world that has an Open Cup style tournament should do the same thing. And of 
course you get, no, 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 this is a better idea, better idea. No, no, we should have this because we don't have sporting merit in our leagues or in U.S. soccer. And I'm like, but you see, that's what I'm talking about. We cannot force a type of pro-rel into the Open Cup because we don't have it in within our leagues, within the system, because of the lack of a pyramid. We cannot have one thing and take out what's been going on in the other. Open Cup, FA Cup is about endurance. How you will start to the point where where to the point of where will you finish in a cup competition in a single elimination format? Because if you go one and done, good luck next year. If you can go more than one than one round, let's see what you can do. You go all the way to the final, you are the best club and the national champion of the sport in that country. I understand, completely understand the frustration of American soccer fans that are not happy that promotion relegation is not within American soccer, the PSL, the Pro Soccer League, or the Pro Stadium League ruling of U.S. soccer in the rules has hampered this situation. And I completely understand that. No one understands this better than me and, of course, Carter Krishnire and everyone else that believes in this. Until that gets erased and... Everyone is on the same page, completely. Then it's a possibility. But that's part of the battle. I will still maintain, I will still say this till I'm blue in the face. That is, every club and every league must have their own stadium. It is a completely different situation here than it is in Europe. I understand that no, that's not true. We can, you know, we can have these clubs playing in minor league baseball stadiums to share it with those teams, or whoever is the owner of the minor league team can own a lower level professional American soccer team. I understand that, but we're not talking about those teams. We're talking about those teams that do not have an owner that is also owning the minor league baseball team. I'm talking about those teams that must pay rent for the usage of said athletic fields and stadiums that, are, that they don't own, that they don't control. Because once they get relegated, after they're promoted, the rent will be raised. Because those landlords will be expecting those teams to get promoted again. This is not the opportunity to face an MLS team in open cup play. We're talking about staying in MLS 
and staying there permanently. Don't think right now that's the right thing to do. And all I can say is, is that I am not going to, I don't want the open cup hampered. And at the same time, I am not going to have a form of pro-rel taking down the open cup because you're trying to find a solution to have sporting merit. No. No. I disagree. I completely disagree. Now, you want all of MLS and all of USL Championship to begin in the third round? I agree. Hands up to say yes, I agree. I agree. I, I second the motion. You want all other lower-level teams from third division to amateur start in the opening round? I second the motion. The hand is up. I second the motion. I will go along with that. But I will not allow a farce in the Open Cup because, oh, since we're not going to get it in the leagues, let's do it in the Open Cup. No. Open Cup is sacrosanct. It has its own situation. And so does our leagues if we're going to implement promotion relegation. Because I disagreed at the time with Open Cup qualifiers for MLS teams. And when they got rid of them, I was ecstatic. I was happy. Because that's not what it should have been about. All teams in MLS begins in whatever round they begin in at that time. That's my opinion. And I believe in it. Just as much as you want to see promotion relegation in our, within our league systems, I believe promotion relegation should not be involved in the U.S. Open Cup. That would make the Open Cup a farce. That's what I meant. That's what I said. Whether you like it or not, and I understand the argument, I understand the situation. But all I'm saying is, I am not, I don't want that to be hampering the Open Cup because it satisfies your end of the deal. Just to have Pro-Rel into something, no. If we're going to have that victory, if we're going to have that type of situation coming into our leagues and our clubs, that's where it must be at that's how I feel that's my opinion that's my situation so that's all I'm saying I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade but I think that that should not happen during the Open Cup I truly believe that's what should not happen during the Open Cup. And that's all I'm saying. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my guests tonight. Eric Goodman 
from the Austin Chronicle on Austin FC, and of course, Mike Kuhn down the byline, as well as the Blue Testament on Sporting Kansas City. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Some up, some information tomorrow night. USA at El Salvador post-match show at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. And the match will be on Fox Sports 1. And then on Thursday night, I'll be joined by Carter Krishnire to discuss FIFA announcing official announcement as the host, as the host cities will be announced for the 2026 World Cup in the United States, in Canada, and in Mexico. It should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.